I'm David Bryan. And I'm Brenda Bryan. This is Renovation Made Right. If you're considering a remodeling project now or sometime in the future, Renovation Made Right is your single source to help guide you through getting the project you want and an experience that you'll enjoy. Renovation Made Right tackles topics that range from how to select the right project and contractor to tips on surviving the remodeling process to best practices for kitchen and bath design. We have over 30 years of experience in the industry and are owners of the well-established design-build remodeling company Black Dog Builders in Salem and Nashua, New Hampshire. We're sitting down with industry professionals to tap into their experiences and insights so we can equip you with the tools you need to make your own project a success. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Renovation Made Right. My name is David Bryan, and my lovely host next to me is... Brenda Bryan. That's right. And so we're actually, this show is a continuation of, of a previous show that we did that is um, the history of America's kitchens, sort of inspired by a webinar you attended, mm -hmm. and then inspired by a book you bought because the webinar you attended, mm -hmm. or sorry, you attended. Yes, right? exactly. And uh, I really enjoyed the first conversation, and there's a bunch of stuff that I learned in that process. So I'm looking forward to the second one. This is a little bit, you know, this isn't kind of a topic we've done before, but it's home-related. We're a home-related show where, you know, I thought it's a good tie-in, and, and I'm learning as we go. Yeah, well, I thought it would be a great idea because, one, it caught my eye when I, I saw the description. I was like, that sounds cool. And I think our listeners would be think it's cool, too. So hopefully that is true. So we'll find out. If everyone likes these shows and enjoys the, the topic, please let us know. We'd love to get the feedback. If you didn't like the show, let us know. We'd love to get the feedback. You can say, you people stink. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> and we want to thank folks for for the, the reviews, the ratings, the following us and, and you know downloading us. So thank you very much for that. And, and if you're enjoying what we're doing, give us some feedback. And if you're not, we'll adjust and course correct. Correct. Or we'll just retire. That could be happening. <laughs> Off we go. All right. So in our last show, we talked about the history of the early kitchen in the United States. And now this is a continuation. We're going to be talking about the 19th century, 20th century, and 21st century kitchens and how that has evolved. So one of the things we talked about last time was the difference between a range and a stove. And a stove was a freestanding heating device originally in a kitchen, and then it became a cooking device. And then what's the difference between that and a range? And I explained that a range is actually built into a chimney. It's not freestanding. There's no flue. It's actually like partially built into the, into the chimney and it's not movable. And so you asked about the etymology of that. Like, why is it called a range? Merrill, yes, I our did. awesome producer, looked up what the etymology of the range was. So now we have an answer for you there. The answer is that not only did you have cooking surfaces in a range, you had ovens as well. And the ovens could be set at different temperatures based on the, the fire that you built in the ovens. And so, therefore, it gave you a, quote, unquote, range of cooking options in one space. And there you go. So that's how you get to the word range. I love that. Yeah, exactly. All right. So one of the things I was just about to jump into, and we left it as a cliffhanger because Dave is just so excited to talk about it. He said, oh, this will definitely bring them back for more, is talking about some of the technological inventions that were brought to the kitchen in the 19th century. Because as we all know, the 19th century in industrialization, people were inventing all kinds of things. And not only was it not uh, an agricultural society anymore, where you were just making your money, just producing agricultural and like living on your homestead, all of a sudden it became an industrial revolution and people were working outside the home and all these inventions started happening. And so... Some of those inventions made lives easier for women, which, thank goodness, somebody was trying to help us out. 
So the first thing was the rotary. Well, not the first thing, but anyway, this is a this is a list of things that were invented. The rotary egg beater, which is kind of awesome. And you've seen these. I mean, everybody's been to their grandmother's house has seen a rotary egg beater that they still have. You know, it's just a little turn crank and, and the lid goes chunk, 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 chunk. And I read, chunk, 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 chunk. That's exactly what it sounds like. And and there were specific directions for how to take care of these. Because if you, like, there was grease in the, in the flywheels. In the gears, yeah. Yeah. And if you, if you washed it with soap and water and the grease came out, it wasn't going to work well anymore. But if you tried to use it while it was still wet, it would fling around and the grease would get in your cooking. And so you had to like very carefully, like, first of all, not get the, the flywheel and your handle dirty. So you had to keep your hands clean when you were using it and only submerge the part that was in the eggs or the cream or whatever you were using it for and, uh, and not really get any of that other stuff wet or wipe wipe it with a with a dry cloth so you know otherwise there are all kinds of problems that happen meat grinder was invented in the mid-1800s you know so sweeney todd and everybody else like you know this is this pretty awesome stuff an apple peeler was 1864 and the apple peeler was invented by a guy that was the future governor of new hampshire so clearly it made him quite successful this apple peeler there you go i know yeah i guess he he invented it and he sold a bunch and then he was like i'm not selling enough of these so he he actually went on the road and sold like 24,000 of these devices to to homemakers like all over <laughs> All over New England, wow. took that money, opened up a, a factory and made all kinds of other inventions for kitchens and then went on to become the governor of New Hampshire in the late 1800s. Huh. Mm, interesting guy. Things that make you say, hmm. Huh. Exactly. In the advent of electricity, and we'll talk about other, obviously, a lot of inventions that came with that, but bread toasters were invented in 1893. I did not know it was that early. I mean, hardly any houses had electricity, but right. somebody invented a toaster. So. Probably only used at Thomas Edison's house, but <laughs> nobody else had had access. Coffee grinders were invented in 1799. So you think about that, it's like really early. Yeah, well, that'd be, I mean, if, if they had to figure out some way to get those beans into grinds, I right? Yeah, people had to wake up in the morning. An ice cream machine was invented in 1848. So, you know, all these just cool things that just didn't exist before. It's yeah. pretty interesting. In a relatively tight window of time. Yeah, exactly. Right, this, these innovations within the kitchen. Mm -hmm. So 20th century inventions, a lot of the drivers for all of these were the modern movers of gas and then electricity. Those were two things that really changed the kitchen. So like I said, in the very beginning, we had nothing but horrors. Then we moved to stoves that were wood-burning stoves. And all of a sudden, we had, we had other possibilities. So gas stoves were first invented in England in the 1820s. So you think, okay, well, that was, you know, wood stoves weren't even being used in America until the 1840s, but nobody had access to gas, and there were tons and tons of wood in America still at that point. Mm -hmm. So gas really took a while to come over just because it's, it's kind of the same thing when you talk about, you know, the cost of fuel, right? You know, thing, technology doesn't necessarily make a change until the cost of fuel gets so high that people have to think about other ways of dealing with it. Oh. England, being so far ahead in deforesting their, their country turn to gas earlier sure sure and then it came to america when, when real, we burned yeah. through a lot of our food that makes wood. that makes total sense and we're actually kind of in a different in a, in a different way we're seeing that same thing now with the with the advent and the, and the push for solar right so right it's exactly. not necessarily as, it, as it's becoming cheaper and more accessible well there's right? some of that right some of that mm -hmm. is being driven by that and some of that is being you know is being driven by ecological mm -hmm. perspective right yep. that, that we wouldn't have had prior to this right 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 environmental environmental yes Ecological. Yeah, it's the same thing. You're Thank right. you. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> I was thinking economical, and I thought you were just mispronouncing it, but I'm an idiot. Don't say it. Don't agree. Off you go. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, in terms of America, like I said, it was it was in England in the 1820s, but really it wasn't until after the 1900s that it became pretty popular in America. And in, in that point, it was really only in cities. So again, as you got out to the country, it was still a wood-burning place. The electric stove was invented in 1892 in Canada, interestingly enough. Hmm. But unlike the gas stove, the electric stove was slow to catch up because most cities and towns did not have electricity until after the 1930s, which is really interesting. You think, wow, right? So interestingly, here, here's the thing. Only half of U.S. homes had electricity in 1925. Only half. And then most had it, ap- like, like when I say most, like 70% had it after World War II. And then, but it was 1970 before it was universal. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing that's interesting about that is probably that in the early days, if you put a, of, of the appliances we have in our homes today, mm-hmm. stoves are among one of the higher demand in terms of, of amperage, right? And voltage. Correct. So as, as with the advent of electricity, I'm sure it wasn't all that consistent. And, you know, the power you might take to run a few light bulbs is radically different than the power you're going to take to heat up a stove, right? right. So it probably had an impact on the infrastructure. Right. right. No, it absolutely did. So the infrastructure basically had to catch up with the ability, which is, again, when we go back to talking about solar, right, and and other kinds of, you know, people are making a big push now to switch over to all electric vehicles, all electric appliances. The, the infrastructure hasn't quite caught up with that. So if everybody were to switch now, we wouldn't have actually the electrical, the grid would not be able to keep up with the demand. Correct. You know, or the costs would skyrocket or a little bit of both. So, you know, we have to do this in, in like dribs and drabs to a certain extent. So let's talk about how kitchens were set up. So kitchens of the 17th to 19th centuries are what we call like, we'll call them now from a design standpoint is unfitted kitchens. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean to you when I say an unfitted kitchen? Yeah, so no no sort of preformed design per se and all loose pieces that don't that aren't built in. Right. That and so sense? we've had we've had clients come to us and say, you know what, I really want like what looks like an architecturally appropriate kitchen for my 18th century house. Mm-hmm. And so that case we're going to have a, a separate antique looking stove, your refrigerator would probably be behind panels or even in another room. So it doesn't look like you have a refrigerator, you'd have a work table, you'd have some freestanding cabinetry, but it wouldn't be all attached with the, you know, continuous countertop like we do now. So, and that was just because this is the same thing. If you talk about an 18th century home, you had a hearth, that was your whole cooking surface. And then you'd have a couple of tables and, you know, places where people could sit down and, and fix their tools or, or, do their schoolwork or whatever, but you wouldn't have all the all the stuff that we have now. So in the early 20th century, so so and that was pretty typical, right? In the in the early 1920s, there was an invention called a Hoosier cabinet. Do yep. you know what a Hoosier is? I think I do. Yeah. So you find them in antique stores all yep. the time. Yep. It's essentially a cabinet that's about five feet wide by about maybe six or seven feet tall. It's in two pieces. There's like, it's almost like a hutch where there's a base piece and a top piece and, but it's all storage. And this was like super new technology, you know, in the early 1900s. And it was meant to make it super efficient to do stuff in your kitchen. So you'd have a place for all your spices. There would be a flour sifter built in. There would be places for all your 
all your various things that you need for cooking all in one place. And it was meant to be like the absolute like highlight of efficiency in a kitchen. And so it was put into one of these, what I call unfitted, unfitted kitchens, right? Instead of maybe just a table, now all of a sudden you have a Hoosier cabinet. And that was really cutting edge at that time. But around the same time frame, in, in 1909, there was a guy named Frederick Taylor, and he published the book, The Principles of Scientific Management which used time and motion studies to optimize industrial efficiency. So it was really based for industry, right? How do we make industry as efficient as possible, cut down on the workload, or, you know, sure. increase productivity? So, but a couple of people were like, you know, why can't we take this into the home? So there was a woman named Christine Frederick, and she lived in Long Island, and she took Taylorism, it's called Taylorism, after Frederick Taylor, and applied it to the kitchen. And she was also the household editor of Ladies Home Journal. Ooh. Which is very interesting. She was also, and and I say, so she would, she did a bunch of studies to make the kitchen more efficient. She said, you know, this unfitted kitchen requires like twice the number of steps of, of what we consider now a fitted kitchen, you know, where you have designed cabinetry in and continuous counter space. And, and it's small. The kitchen was much smaller mm -hmm. than the unfitted kitchens of yesteryear, where it was just like a giant room. So, so she created a lot of recommendations about like how to make your kitchen efficient so that, you know, if you think about most women and they talked about like something, the ridiculous amount of plates and dishes you wash every year, no, mm -hmm. no dishwashers, right? Right. Like what you do, what you do really her, her job was trying to say, okay, if I can cut you down from 30,000 steps a day to, you know, 8,000 in your kitchen, wouldn't you be happier? And, and that was the goal. So she was trying to create more efficient space. And, but in a lot of ways, she was also just a very good business person because she was also kind of a double agent for the businesses, for businesses to market their products to women. So she would like, you know, she'd be, she'd, she'd show up like in the Hoosier company that made these Hoosier cabinets, she would show up in their advertising saying, I recommend this. She was an influencer. It it, oh, an she, early influencer. She was very much an early influencer. And then there was a, a woman, an, she was an industrial engineer and a psychologist, which is like crazy around the same time frame, early early 20th century, Dr. Lillian Gilbreth, and she was also an influential kitchen designer. She was also using Taylorism, and she and her husband, Frank, were leaders of, sorry, moving my face, in the scientific time management movement and collaborated on factory projects. So again, she she, she got her start in, like, in industrial like, like projects. Like making the Model T production line more efficient. Right, exactly. Right. But her husband had an early death. And she was left with 12 children to support. Like, I don't know how she did all she did and had 12 kids at the same time. Like, this woman was a Christine powerhouse. Christine, we're specialists in time management studies. <laughs> yes, right, exactly. It wasn't very romantic, but they no, got no, the job No, 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 exactly. But they got their kids done. But interestingly, her story inspired the book Cheaper by the Dozen. No kidding. Which is really interesting. Yeah. And, uh, and she Man, became... you were filled with little... Uh, little little this, bit. This it's all in this book. It's just fascinating. And she became an expert on domestic management. But her work inspired... An, so around the same time or a little bit after, her work inspired an Austrian architect to create standalone, so separate from the rest of the house. So like I said, in the beginning, the kitchens were a place where people gathered. After they did all this work in terms of, quote unquote, industrial management, they said, no, 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 the kitchen really needs to be its own standalone place where you can go, you focus on kitchen and you leave, right? It's not meant for the place for the whole family to come in. It's really supposed to be super efficient. And they wrote, they, she did, they, um, this Austrian architect designed these efficient kitchens and built-in cabinetry and continuous countertops and had them installed in 10,000 affordable housing units in Frankfurt. 
And this is like in the 1920s. And they inspired German kitchens for decades. So in other words, German kitchens are still kind of similar, like super efficient, tiny, right? Small, but, but really tight. But... The negative is, and you know, you think you see about this in design, right? Like we swing from one side, which is super inefficient and big. And they swing to the other side, which is super efficient and small. You're talking like galley kitchens, like little L-shaped kitchens, right? U-shaped kitchens. They're all super efficient, but they left no place for the family to congregate. And one of the other problems is if they did and you hadn't, people were still having, you know, four, five, six, seven kids, kids still come in and they're under your feet and you're in this tiny kitchen and there's no place for them to be. And so the women were like pulling their hair out. Like, oh my God, get these children out from under my feet, sure. right? These little hungry mouths like sitting on your <laughs> countertop next to you. And and so they can't, we, we swung back, right? So we took the best features of both, which is basically like compact, modular storage and work surfaces, but space for family on top of it, right? So you have these U-shaped kitchens but they open up into an eating area and a table in that space or, you know, a place or, or desks or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that has continued right up until now. So when we get into 20th and 21st century kitchens, again, we see some more inventions, right? Electricity is added. We Microwaves, really interestingly. What? It, this is great. So a guy... And I don't didn't write his name down. I'm sorry, but he was a he was an engineer working for Raytheon, and he was testing out a new vacuum tube. And as he was testing out the vacuum tube, he noticed that the the chocolate bar in his pocket had completely melted. Oh, that's they, not good. I know. I was like, well, what happened to the thing next to the chocolate bar, which was your Ghibli's? You right. know, like like that. It can't be good right. to be cooking that stuff, right? And then. <laughs> And then he did, he was like, oh my gosh, this is like heating stuff up. So he did an experiment with popcorn and it popped, right? And he was like, holy cow. I Hopefully not in his pocket no at kidding, the same right? time, right? right? But hopefully it was somewhere. So Sadly, he died a year later. Yeah, yeah, right. So he created this metal box to hold this magnetron tube and voila, the microwave was born. So that, which, was, a, which, that I, was in 1945. In 1946... Restaurants started using microwaves to heat up food that, you know, like the, these heat lamps. Well, they'd also like heat up stuff that was about to go out to, to reheat. So I, I know that, that microwave technology is also some way in, in some way involved in radar. Right. And I, right. I've read. And that's what he was. Yeah. He was it was a radar which, product. Right, right. Which is right. Raytheon. Right. And I read that, you know, in, during World War Two in the Navy, you know, mariners would be on watch at night and, you know, be near intentionally be near the radar because it was warm because they got warm yeah right not not really understanding that they were actually cooking themselves from the inside yeah which eventually was not going to be a good thing great right exactly so anyway that that's one big invention obviously and then like i said not the electricity in homes wasn't ubiquitous until 1970 it wasn't even common until after 1940 Mm -hmm. right so, so all these inventions that happened, all the things that we had before, like I mentioned those inventions in the, in the earlier part of the segment, you know, the, the egg beater and, you know, all this stuff that were, was basically driven on hand power all of a sudden could be electric. So you had stand mixers, electric beaters, um, toast, electric toasters, you know, all electric coffee mo- makers, drips, you know, all this stuff that you can now plug in, which made life infinitely easier. So how has it changed now since then? Kitchens, and I'm going to wrap up with this. We're going to have a big argument about it. It's going to be just awesome. All right. 
Just to be clear, I'm totally prepared for this because you didn't give me your notes in advance, so I'm curious now. I know. It's going right. to be awesome. All right. Fire away. So, so kitchens have become, especially since like the 1970s, become two things. Ungendered, right? They used to be just a really women's space, and like pink appliances and, you know, whatever. They've become ungendered and open for entertaining. Okay. So here's the irony. The women's movement of the 60s and 70s ironically made kitchens sexier for people in general, men specifically, because as women fought to get out of the kitchen, men had to pick up the slack and get into the kitchen. And because the men got into the kitchen, surprise, surprise, they were willing to pay for the best tools and the best finishes and all the things like like their <laughs> that, cars. That they were denying? That they were denying women all along. Like, you don't need that. Why would you need that? Well, you got to have the right tool for the job. Every guy knows that. Every guy knows that. <laughs> so once you got into the kitchen, all of a sudden, you know, everything became, you know, stainless steel this and fancy that and no expense could be spared. Whereas before, Nathaniel Hawthorne was quite willing to let his wife raise their eight children next to a hearth an open hearth because he found it cozier. Now all of a sudden men are in the kitchen and no expense shall I, be spared. I don't know what you're talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> Mr. Oh, I need this new tool. Right. So. Well, but I do. <laughs> don't. So, yeah, interestingly, what previously were these utilitarian spaces for women to endure, only to endure, became focal points for men and their cooking and entertaining abilities. Mm. So there you go. I'm not sure what to say. Yeah, I know you don't because, you know, the truth hurts and you're looking right at it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that is so is that the, is that kind of the why? That's up? kind of the that's kind of the, the uh, yes. Well, what a cool journey on on sort of evolution of the kitchen. I, I, a bunch of I learned a bunch of stuff mm -hmm. right from from my brilliant wife. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you found it interesting. Yeah, it was really cool. No, so, that awesome. is, it's 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 good stuff. And I would recommend this book. The pictures are great, super interesting for anybody, and well, lots about the, you know the technological changes and the reason behind things. And so, it's it's called America's Kitchen, and it's by Nancy Carlisle and Melinda Talbot. I'm going to say this wrong, Nasardinov. I think you got that. And um, we'll, we'll link to we'll it. We'll link to we'll it. We'll put a link in so, so that you can you can pick it up or you know go to your local library and ask for a copy of it. But I think you'll find it super fascinating. So. Yep. And uh, so just to to wrap on this as First of all, as I had said in the beginning of the show, thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for listening to us, and, and our, our downloads continue to increase. We appreciate that. But we'd love your ideas. We'd love any recommendations you have for topics you'd like us to cover. We'd love your questions even more. Our, our, one of our next shows is going to be a, a Q&A with some listener questions. So we really appreciate that. And, and again, thanks for being with us. You have been listening to a, another edition of Renovation Made Right. I'm David Bryan. And I'm Brenda Bryan. Thanks. Thank you for listening. Be sure to check out the show notes on our website, renovationmaderight.com, and follow us on social media at Renovation Made Right. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you like the show, leave us a review.